0: It's such a good opportunity for us to gather around His Word each and every week uh, so that we can learn from it, grow from it. And I believe that we can also be transformed by it. I believe that the sacred scriptures tell us what it is that it takes to live a life that is truly alive. What it looks like to live a life that is full and abundant. It provides principles and passageways into blessings that we otherwise would not be able to experience on our own. We have a way of searching for these things and trying to bring them into our life and hold on to them as tightly as we can, but we often experience the emptiness of how futile that can be because so many things can go wrong. But what God shows us is that even when things are going wrong, there are blessings and that there are things that He is working, not just in us, but also through us. And in our circumstances, they are not the final say on the story that your life is. And so when we think of what it looks like to be the one, to become the one that God wants us to be, we sometimes need to put aside selfish pursuits. But when we are... Searching for a relationship, when we're in a relationship and not feeling fulfilled or satisfied, we can often find fault in that which we are pursuing, what we are experiencing, what we are living. And so we've been looking at a story in the scriptures that's found in the Old Testament in the book of Hosea, and it's a story that is not about love because. Hosea is not in love with Gomer, and Gomer is not in love with Hosea. But it's a story of God bringing two people together to illustrate what it looks like when his people are in a relationship with him that they don't want to be in. And interestingly enough, when we look at this particular story, in some way, every person who has ever lived is on a hunt for love. And we are also, in many ways, we're scared to death that we won't find it. And when we're in a relationship and we begin to see that romantic love fade, or there are things that tell us that we are possibly falling out of love, or no longer in love like we had first envisioned or imagined, that we begin to look outside of that relationship. And the reality is, is that the story in which we're in is a story of how we can do the exact same thing in our relationship with God. That There is this love that we have for God and maybe a desire to know more about God. There is this exploration stage that we may be in if we're just kind of dating with this idea of what it looks like to be a follower of God or a follower of Jesus who points us to God. And yet the story that we're in, it tells us something even more profound than that. It tells us that the gospel story, the story of God sending his son into this world to love us when we do not love him back is the best love story that there is. And so the story is one that repeats itself because who places his love on people who does not deserve his love, well, God does that. But we also can do that. We do that in our relationships all the time until we decide not to anymore. There's there's something that breaks in us, something that tells us that we've had enough. And we don't know when that moment is going to come, but when it comes, it's very hard to ever return back to a place where you are willing to go back to that person, to that relationship, to the same circumstances, the same situations like you have experienced before. And so God speaks to us of how he is continuously taking us back and, and continuously going after us and pursuing us and blessing us and doing everything that he can to give us everything that we need and us not recognizing that. And, and that's the story of, of Hosea and, and Gomer, This is their love story in a way, but it's our story as well. And and I was going through this series and preparing for it, and I found this this passage that I really wanted to focus in on today, because today we're going to be talking about what it looks like to settle for true beauty. And in Hosea chapter uh, 3, verse 1, this is what it says. It says that the Lord said to me, Go and show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. But I want you to love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, and though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. What the heck? Are raisin cakes doing in this story? Why is the scriptures pointing out that God hates the way they love raisin cakes? It, it, it doesn't it doesn't it pique your curiosity just a little bit? Now now think about how we just came out of this season where we ate maybe a lot of panettone. Oh sorry, that's me. I ate a lot of that I do it every year I love it I I I buy it and I put it in my cupboards and and I and I and I already know that I'm going to be eating them for the course of about four to six weeks that's how much of it I buy and and when my wife every once in a while wants to take it out for our guests and visitors I look at her and I say don't touch that panettone that's not for people that's mine that's mine now, you would think that it's just, you know, raisins in there, but no, there's 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 every flavor imaginable. And, and the thing about this passage, and, and what drives me crazy is that I, I don't understand what, what, what God was trying to say here with the raisin cakes. But th- then I realized that, wait a second, I remember reading about these raisin cakes before. There are a lot of stories in the Bible about raisin cakes. In fact, In 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 12, it talks about how pressed raisins were were administered to revive a fainting slave. Raisin cake brought someone back to life. It's how miraculous it can be. And then there was another passage in which there was this this generous list of of, of food just provided by Abigail for David. And the way that she she wanted to show her love for him as he went out uh, on a mission was that she gave him raisin cake. And then there were other times where, where David, after a great battle and after a great sacrifice in the temple, he made sure that all of the people got raisin cake. It was like a delicacy. It was seen as a sign of luxury. It was a demonstration of true honor when you gave someone a raisin cake. But when God describes it in this passage, he's saying that they're eating raisin cakes at another temple, at another altar, to other gods. And he looks at it and he says, this isn't an example of someone who understands true beauty, but this is someone who understands the luxury it provides, but doesn't notice when it's leading them away from me. And there's something about that that speaks profoundly to our understanding of attraction. And so before we take Welsh cakes off the menu and Garibaldi biscuits and panettone or Christmas cake or even poffert, which is a Dutch version of the same thing, and I've had them all, by the way, we need to understand what the true meaning of this actually is. And I want you to think back to the last couple of weeks where we've been talking about this subject, and there was one particular passage in Hosea chapter 2 and verses that we read where, where Gomer says these words, she says, she talks about my wool. She says, my linen, my olive oil, and my drink. And then she decks herself with jewelry. She does this in verse 5, and then again in verse 13. And then after the going after the lovers who she thinks she can, that can provide these things to her, she forgets all the things that Hosea did give her. And so she's more concerned with the the raisin cakes that she had been receiving elsewhere than than the raisin cake that, that Hosea was providing all along. And it isn't just a metaphor for the way that God looks after and looks at his people when they reject him, but it's also about the distractions that we're often faced with when we're trying to understand what true beauty is. Now the thing in Hosea in chapter 4 verse 10 and then again in chapter 8 verse 14 is that God says that they build palaces and that their false prophets use both to prove that they have forgotten the Lord. So God points this out and he says when you eat these raisin cakes there's two things that are happening. One is that you are worshiping yourself. You're worshiping your feelings. Have you ever... Gone into a card shop and, and and just like just looked at the cards and, and read what was written on the inside, and you were trying to find something that matched your feelings. And and sometimes when you find something and it doesn't match your feelings, you kind of say, I can't say this. I can't give this card because I don't actually feel this way. And and I, I, I've talked to a lot of people over the years who said that their, their, their struggle was actually finding a card for the person they were in a relationship with because nothing that they read was an indicator of how they actually felt. That sometimes what they were reading was a direct contrast to what they were living. And they found themselves sometimes taking a card that they knew they were lying when they gave it to the person they were in a relationship with. I'm not here to expose anybody having done that, but I'm sure this is an experience that you may have had yourself. You've come close to that or you've felt that. And and you wanted to do something that was for the season, but recognize that your love didn't match it. And I want you to know that that happens when we are unable to truly quantify what true beauty is. And then there's something about our inability to see beauty for what it is and, and what it can be other than through the lens of how we are feeling. And and, and what, what Gomer does is that she keeps running back to her lovers, back to the old temple, eating raisin cakes at another altar, living a life of luxury and pleasure that she no longer believes that her husband can ever provide for her. And when we get trapped into this kind of thinking, that's when we get lost in not only being able to see true love and true beauty, but then to experience it ourselves. And so God says, watch out for those raisin cakes where you would much rather worship yourself and your feelings than worship me. Where you would much rather worship other gods at other altars than understand what it truly looks like to love me and then to love others through me. And so, you know, loving raisin cakes isn't a separate type of immoral behavior in this passage, but it's an example of how we can turn to other gods and other means of fulfilling ourselves and satisfying ourselves and and wanting to find romance and attraction and beauty in that which is with us, and sometimes we feel eluding us. And when those feelings begin to change, then all of a sudden we begin to realize that something is available Someplace else, and I want you to know that 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 I honestly believe that the opportunity to go somewhere else, to be with someone else, to have something else, is what we are continuously being tempted with. It is something that we are always battling against, because instead of trying to find out what is true, we are going and chasing after that which we imagine. Is a truer version of what we are living instead. And so, what God does is that He confronts that. He helps us to see something completely different than other than that. And so, this is what He does He says in Proverbs 18, verse 22, that he who finds a wife or a husband finds what is good and then receives favor from the Lord. And so what God does is that he puts out this principle and he says, I want you to see that when I say this, I want you to know that this should be your pursuit. Your pursuit isn't beauty in an external manner, but it's beauty in in an internal one that you are looking for inner beauty that is going to bring about the favor of God. And so if you make this your focus, instead of just pursuing raisin cakes, then you're going to have a deeper and a more meaningful experience in your life. God is going to bring the favor of God on your life because it is your objective to do what God has put before you in what is your pursuit. So, what this does is that it reminds us these verses in 1 Corinthians 13. Now, if you've ever been to a wedding, you've heard these verses. And when you heard it, you always throw, you throw up a little bit in your mouth every time. And it's not just because... Every wedding has it. But because it just it got it just got to the point where you just heard it so many times, you, you just think it's just part of the ceremony, it's nice, you know. The verses talking about love, but you don't really believe in it. But but I want you to understand that what God does with this particular passage is that He says, Listen, man, attraction, romance, I love those things. But I want you to know what true love is. I want you to know what true beauty is. And not the external stuff that is going to fade. And by the way, you know, it does fade. And you're going to spend the majority of your life in a body you wish you didn't have. And working really hard, working extremely hard to get it back to, to a shape that you imagine and envision yourself having instead of the one that is like speaking very loudly and shouting at you from the mirror you're looking at. The majority of your life is going to be in a body that does not look like you in your teens or in your twenties. And then so if you marry someone based on attraction, the majority of their maturity and fatherhood and motherhood and grandparenthood is going to be in another body. And so if you want to be with someone, then God is saying, I want you to focus on an inner beauty and make sure they have that in abundance because that's what's going to keep you together. Can we say amen to that? Because that's what's going to matter. That's what's going to be the most meaningful and the most important in your life. And so this passage is a demonstration of what true beauty is. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It doesn't boast. It isn't proud. It isn't rude. It isn't self-seeking. It isn't easily angered. It keeps no account of wrongs. Love takes no pleasure in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and then it endures all things. Can we say amen to God's word? That's what beauty looks like. Inner beauty is that. When you're looking for someone to love and for someone to love you back, those are the qualities, those are the characteristics you're looking for. That's what you're looking for in the other person. That's what God is saying. Have you you paid attention to these things? Like, don't derive your worth from not from your from your dating status, but but derive it instead from your understanding of what true love is. And if you don't have that, and you're not having that with the person you're with and the person that you want to be with, then that tells you that that's far more important than just saying that you're with somebody. And giving yourself to someone and wasting time with someone and giving years of your life to someone who isn't even worth it because they have no indication of any of these characteristics in your day-to-day relationship. Why would you keep going back and reliving the same garbage over and over again when God is saying, this is what true beauty is. And I need you to become this and I need you to look for this, and I want you to experience this together. This is what I want for you. And so God wants us to get this because He's saying that well, a lot of us we just we just don't. And and there's something about external beauty that God says it's okay. I mean, in, in First Peter, I want to show you this in First Peter chapter three, verses three and four. It says. Look, your beauty shouldn't come just from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Because we get, we we need to feel good about ourselves, and honestly, there's nothing wrong with that. We do feel better when we have something new and shining. We put that on, and we do feel better when we do things that make us feel good, like taking care of ourselves, like like doing those things that just. Help us to pamper ourselves. And and it's external, but it has an impact in us internally as well. We know that. But then verse 4 says, Rather, it should be that of your inner self. It should be about the, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. God is saying those external things, if that's all you're focused on, then, then what's on the inside is being neglected. And, and, and that which is being neglected is actually what makes you shy. That, that's actually what makes you attractive. That's what makes you beautiful. That, that, that's exactly what God looks for, not only in you, but that's what other people need. And when they see that, I mean, you could be in a, in a wheelchair, And it won't matter because you are the personification of what it looks like to be beautiful on the inside. And you live that every day on the outside. That even though you are not able to have all the beauty that maybe someone else possesses, that will fade one day. And someone was going to have to work really hard to try to keep that going and fix it and stretch it and inject it, and do all kinds of things to it, and they're going to look crazier than ever. Because they're obsessed with the outside, but don't understand the inner beauty that God and other people really want on the inside. And God is saying, are you just going to be that, a person who's just obsessed with the external? And in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, look at what it says in verse 3 to 5. It it says, the husband needs to fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. And this is all about that physical attraction. God is saying, don't you think I get it? I invented sex. You think that I don't know how this works? You think I don't know it's important? I know it's important. I know you want to have it. I know it's on your mind all the time. I know, I know how you can be blessed by it and cursed by it. I know how you can become so obsessed with it that you become addicted to it. And I know how you can neglect it to an extent where you just feel that you can relive your rest of your life without it. And there's brokenness on both sides of that. And what God says is that I understand this. And so I understand that your body is not your own. I gave you this so you could pleasure someone else with it. It's not for you to just pleasure yourself. It is for you to be able to pleasure someone else with it. And that's why he goes on to say, in this passage, these verses, he says, the wife doesn't have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband in the same way that the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. He says, do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. In other words, there might be something wrong that is preventing you from having a healthy sexual relationship. Something wrong in your mind, something wrong in your heart. Maybe you're too addicted to pornography and maybe you're getting all of your pleasure from a screen instead of the person that you're with. Maybe all that's happening in your life is happening in a way that is broken instead of a true reflection of what it's supposed to be like. And so God says, you keep looking at a broken mirror and you're trying to make sense of what beauty looks like. And it's so fragmented and so broken that you have lost sight of what it looks like for real. And so I'm going to bring it back into your life with a clear understanding. And I'm going to tell you that this is how it's supposed to be. And then in the passage, he says... Satan is not going to be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. He's saying you're going to become stronger. You're going to get closer. You're going to have a healthier relationship. You're going to do this better than you've ever done it before. You're going to enjoy each other. You're going to be able to truly connect, not just on a physical level, but he's saying here very clearly on a spiritual one as well. You're going to have wholeness in your relationship in a way that you could not have any other way. And so why does God tell us these things? He says, I want you to understand that the reason you're going to devote yourselves to prayer, and this is it, this is the reason, because we must resist the temptation to value the wrong kind of beauty, the wrong kind of sex, the wrong kind of fulfillment. The wrong kind of pleasure. The wrong kind that leads us away from God and from the person that God has put us in a relationship with instead of the people that we sometimes pursue not only becoming, but also wanting to have. I need us to see that God is trying to warn us so powerfully through all of this. He's saying, I want you to get this. I want you to understand this. I need you to see what love truly is. And so in 1 Corinthians 13 and in verse 7, look at what it says here at the end. It says, but in marriage, our love is called to always protect, always trust, always hope, and always persevere. The reason God puts that at the end is that because at some point, our romance, our attraction, our beauty, it's going to fade. And so he says, that's why you need to come together and pray because there's something that is going to reignite that And that is my presence in your life. I can bring those things back in a way that you need and that you've always desired. And so would you take a moment, instead of trying to find this fulfillment at another temple, at another altar, eating raisin cake, Would you consider doing that with the person you're already with so you can stop searching for the one and you can become the one instead I'm always confused by your silence is it good silence <laughs> or is it a bad silence I, I, I can't always I can't always tell I can't always I, I'm not always sure but I but I I hope it's good, <laughs> but if but if we've de- developed, and here's the truth, an attraction to true beauty, then we're gonna have nothing to fear. We're gonna have nothing to fear. And, and I know a lot of people in this room, you, you, you're afraid to settle. You're afraid to settle with the person you're with. And, and I know why you're doing that, because we are taught in this world and in this life that we have to always keep our options open. I want you to understand that the moment you start thinking this way, you know you're eating raisin cake. And so you have to turn away from that and turn back to God's definitions of true beauty and true love. And so if we are thinking this way, then you need to understand that the reality and the truth is is that we're moving in a selfish manner. It's not that you're doing this intentionally. You're doing this instinctively. You're doing this because there is darkness and brokenness in all of us because we don't understand true love and true beauty. We don't know what to look for in another person, but we do know what pleasures us. And so if the standard is what pleasures me, guess what? That's raisin cake. But if if the standard is loving another person, sacrificing for them, giving ourselves up so that they can be fulfilled, that's true beauty. That is true love. And that is what we are looking for. That is what we are asking God for. And so interestingly enough, Paul uh, quotes Hosea and, and in Romans chapter nine and in verse 25, and this is what he says. He says, I will call my people those who aren't my people and the one who isn't well loved, I will call loved one. And what God is saying is that if I can do this, you can do this. If you can understand how I do this, you can do it. Because I am with you, in you, working through you. This is the love that I bring with me. And I can bring that into your life. And I can make sure that the favor of God is is on you, working through you, is having an impact in your life. And so let me ask you some questions here and think about this before we we transition now into a time of prayer. And I want you to answer honestly within your own mind and heart. Are you drawn more to an outer beauty than an inner beauty? Generally speaking, will you be able to serve God better together with this person or apart? Do you desire to fulfill the biblical role of a husband and wife outlined in Scripture? Or are you just satisfied with just being yourself? Is the relationship that you're in or the one that you're seeking, is it going to help you in your Christian discipleship? Or does it dull and distract your interest in the Lord? and in his people. When you're together, are you more or less eager to grow spiritually? When you're together, do you study God's word? Do you pray? Do you give yourself in service to God and to others as a result of the time that you are spending together? Do you think that he or she will make a good discipler of your children or even your grandchildren. And and what do other mature Christian friends and family members say about your relationship? Do others see a relationship that is spiritually solid and God-glorifying, or do they see something that is rather superficial and is based on just physical attraction and, and there isn't a lot of depth And meaning to it. I know that what God has to offer us is sometimes different than what we think we can offer ourselves. And I know that it's totally different than even maybe what we've experienced in our past before. And I know what some of us are thinking. Sometimes you you date people and and you realize that sometimes the person you've dated, um, you know, who said they were a believer, said they were a follower of Christ, they turn out to be worse than, than anybody you've ever dated sometimes even worse than anybody you ever married. And and I just want you to understand that that that's going to happen if you are unable to set the right boundaries around your own heart and mind. It is a reflection of how you are not able to choose what is good and right and acceptable and perfect for you. It is an indication of who the other person is It is a testament to who you are, to what's missing, and to what needs to change in you and through you. You see, what God does is that he says, I want to give you a healthy understanding of what true beauty is. I want to give you an understanding of what real love is. I want you to go by these principles. And when you're making your choices, you're looking at these things, and you're saying, can I live up to this? And is the person that I'm seemingly attracted to romantically and, 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 and I find myself drawn to them sexually, is this person also able to live up to the same standard? Are they at least trying? Are they going to make an effort? Is this something that they're pursuing? Is this something that they want? Is this an improvement that they want to see take place? Or are they just in it to test drive me? Take advantage of me. Use me for as long as I allow them. And then when they fall out of love or I do the same, then I will move on to someone and something else. Because guess what? I kept my options open. As far as I was concerned, this was never for keeps. I hoped it was. I believed it might be. And when they read 1 Corinthians 13 at my wedding, I thought maybe it could be... But now I realize that that wasn't true. And so now I'm gonna go and look for someone and something else. And here's the problem with that. We never become who we need to be, let alone for someone else to love and to have a better understanding of what true love and beauty is. Let's commit ourselves to becoming beautiful on the inside. Let's commit ourselves to standards that are higher than our own and not the, the broken standards of this world, and of those around us. Let's live in a manner that shows us what true beauty and true love truly is. And then God says, I will favor you. I will bless you. And I will bring that into your life. You will have this. Because you have made a decision to become this, because you have decided to become this, you will experience this, you will live this. Because you are devoted to this, you will have it. Then, can we just take a moment and just say, God, you know, I wanna, I want I wanna be beautiful on the inside. I wanna, I wanna live according to your your your, your standards and your principles. I want to experience true beauty. I want to experience true love. I want it in a way that brings favor and blessing not only into my life, but into the life of the person that I'm with, the person that I hope to have with me and to build a life with that person, the person that that God has gifted you already, the person that you are already in a commitment with, that God can help you, to, to once again experience the fullness of everything that we have talked about today. And so Lord, as we just give ourselves to you in humility and simplicity of, of faith, we're all at different places in our spiritual journey and there's certain things that we've been able to receive and others that we've we have not. There are things that we're able to perceive and understand and implement and others Lord, that we're just not ready to wherever we are on this, Spectrum and where we are on this journey, I pray that you would just deal with us with love as you always have, and that you would be gracious and merciful towards us, that you would be compassionate, that you would help us to take the next steps in our, in our journey of life and, and, and even in our spiritual journey as well, that you would look at us and, and that you would truly redeem, renew, refresh and fully restore that which this world in its false beauty and love has possibly wrecked havoc in our minds and in our hearts in our relationships I pray Lord that we would experience something new and that you would lead us there in a powerful and loving way. Lord, thank you for the scriptures and what they teach us. But thank you that you are with us always. Even when we don't feel it, when we don't want it, when we sometimes don't even choose it, you are still there. And we pray these things. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the River's Edge podcast. I encourage you to take the message you have just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the work that only he can do. A heartfelt thank you to all those that generously give to River's Edge and make this podcast possible. You too can be a part of spreading this message and creating life change all over the world by going to riversedge.life/give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast. Thanks again for listening, and God bless you immensely.